In a world of podcasts about movies, sci-fi, TV, and podcasts about sci-fi, TV, and movies, two women chose to add their voices to the fray. Two sisters. One woman was willing to go to any length to explain away plot holes and bad pacing. I don't think, first of all, much like the entirety of this film, I don't think we're supposed to ask a lot of questions. The other, though, had no such sympathies. Oh, I hate it. I hate it. Together, they joined forces to highlight the good, the bad, and the truly bizarre. This is See You Next Week in Space. Well, hello everyone. Wasn't that just like the shortest little break between part one and part two of Minority Report, Amy? Yeah, it was super short. I remember everything we were talking about. I, you know, I just watched this movie yesterday. The movie is seared in your brain. You remember it with oh, vivid yeah. detail. I remember everything about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I mean, from the, that's the magic of creating content is to you listeners, you heard part one last week and you're hearing part two this week. For those of us in the behind stage, what do you call that, Amy? Backstage? Um, sure. Behind the scenes. (laughs) Yeah. Behind the scenes. That's right. Um, it's been quite a while because as I now have mentioned a number of times, moved to Australia, had some you know, stuff that had to get done as a result of that. Um, But now we're back, and we are better than ever, and we are returning to discussing uh, Minority Report. Uh, So let me first say, welcome to See You Next Week in Space. I'm Sarah Walsh, and I'm here with my co-host and sister, Amy Walsh. Um, And Amy, off-air, you said you remembered nothing about this movie. (laughs) uh way to put me on blast but yes I do not (laughs) so I I didn't even like the minute after I watched it so it's not really it's like yeah you like to wipe these from your memory as soon as possible everything that we watch would you say that's true yeah and there's yes and it's not always like it's not a always a cognitive decision like I'm gonna wipe this from my brain (laughs) it's just like kind of it It naturally happens It naturally happens, or, you know, you could also say maybe it never actually permeates all the way through, Mm -hmm. (laughs) even when watching. Like, I I kind of am, like, watching it in front of my eyes, but it's not getting into my brain. (laughs) Yeah, 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 Um, yeah, yeah. I could, yeah, that checks out to me. Probably, that's probably more, even the most I think that's probably what the issue is. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Well, so, for those uh, of us who maybe need a bit of a refresher... Um, last mm. week, we discussed the cast, the production, the etc. And we started with the cold open of the movie where we s- learn about this world of 2054 where such a thing as pre-crime exists. Um, and specifically, that pre-crime seems to be only related to murders and no other sort mm. of crime. Um, That's and a good point. Go on. I'm well. I'm just thinking, like, what if there were other crimes? Well, there <laughs> like, we know there are someone's... other crimes. 
Well, yeah, I know, but I mean, like, what if someone, like, pre-robbed someone? Or, you know what I mean? Like, what? Yeah, this is a I'm very just, I just, specific... This is a very specific window of crime or type of crime yeah. that we're looking at here. Um, and I think... I, I mean, mean, I guess it's the most, like, egregious crime, I suppose. Yeah. Um, there's no coming back from it for one of the participants. Yeah. So... Um, <laughs> I, yeah, in that sense, like, and I guess that's a good kind of what's the adage for life. Like, almost anything that you go through, uh, you can find a way to, like, recover from, maybe. Um, but you can't recover from murder. So, uh, if, if you're the murderer. Right. <laughs> the murderer. I like the... <laughs> that somehow makes it seem... Um, like you're kind of at fault, like, you know, you're a, you're a participant in it. Do you know what I mean? Like, cause I am it's not like victim, victim blaming. No, <laughs> no, I know, but it's just funny. Murdery is like you that you just fucking got murdered, man. And that you're a participant in this. You're the murdery. Indeed. Um, so that's what we're dealing with here. And as I, I wrapped this up last week time, but I'll say it again, cause it's essential to understanding the plot as we move forward, that when the precogs, when the person who is a pre-crime guy gets arrested mm-hmm. and, and then the potential murder no longer will happen, there is mm-hmm. a weird echo vision that happens in the precogs of the thing that has been stopped. And... The technician... Like a premonition, sort of? Kind of. It's, it's like the last gasp of the future that now won't happen, I guess, is the okay. way to think of it. Okay. Um, and the tech who monitors all of their visions uh, has been trained to purge that from the system because it's not a thing anymore. Hmm. So this will be important for later. So we're just saying that. So now uh, we are kind of getting into the meat of the movie. We are learning, for example, like, um, what's this guy's name? John Anderton? Anderton, I know, is the... Okay, John Anderton, yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah. Um, So we'll just call him Anderton. Uh, he mm-hmm. is the primary lead in this pre-crime uh, team. And what we also learn is that he has gotten addicted to some kind of drug. I'm not, they give a name to it, but it's, and the name kind of sounds like it's like future heroin or something. <laughs> um, mm. And so he's gotten addicted to that. And the reason he's gotten addicted to that is because we enter into his home. And I did like this. We talked last week about, um, like, the look of this movie and the future that they envision, mm-hmm. like, the machinery and stuff that uh, goes mm-hmm. on. But what I did find very intriguing is at first I thought, when I first saw this, he was, like, in some kind of fancy elevator or shuttle. But in fact, in the future, apparently, you're going to take your future car and drive up the side of your building and like the car parks on the side of the building and then you walk directly into your house. Love it. 
I did find that kind of appealing somehow. There was something about it that was fun. Um, so then he arrived. Well, you got to in in a future movie. You got to ha- put like a little bit of a like a, just a little Easter egg of like some fun future like weirdness, right? Yeah, you know, that's what yeah, makes like it that fun. in. The, so we don't have flying cars in the future, but we do have cars that can go like on the horizontal plane and on the vertical yeah. plane. That's pretty good. Yeah, I feel like. Yeah. Um. So what we learn when we enter into his home, which we might describe as a sad, divorced dad style situation, <laughs> um, we see that he ha- he's watching these hologram images. We learn that he has this ex-wife, who we will get to know later, um, and of course, dead son, because no story is complete Always. without dead parent or dead child. You know, yeah, we gotta have and that. also another thing about the future, which I feel like I've seen other movies or other shows, or maybe like an episode of Black Mirror or something, where in the future, like somebody dies, and we have like more than pictures and videos and like mm-hmm. phone messages, we have like this weird hologram of them or some like embodiment of them. Yeah, and I think I, I don't think know if I'm that's a good thing. It. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think it's detrimental <laughs> to the healing and grieving process. I mean, even now when people pass away, one of the main stumbling blocks is like what to do with their clothes. Um, mm-hmm. And people feel a lot of feelings and attachment to the physical items that the person wore. So yeah, if you could have some mm-hmm. sort of manifestation... Of your dead kid. I think it's a slippery slope. I think it could be bad. I think and it's clearly, a slippery slope. Clearly, it's bad for John Anderton because he's just sitting around. He's taking this weird future heroin and watching these images, which doesn't seem great. Not good. Not good. No. Not productive. Um, but, of course, he's, as again, and, I mean, it's interesting how some things are real and some things are not. Um, he's diving into his work to avoid all of this. So, the next day... We're back at the pre-crime department, um, and Lamar, who we talked about last week, he's the old guy who's like the director of mm-hmm. this whole thing. So mm-hmm. he's come with um, Danny, what is his last name? Danny Whitwer, played by Colin Farrell. So he okay. shows up, and he says that, so Danny, Colin Farrell, is... Um, I think he's an, uh, a DA or an attorney, assistant attorney general kind of thing. Um, mm. And he says that he's here to observe the pre-grime department because um, they're thinking about making this program be a nationally run program. So they want to see how it works. Um, mm-hmm. And specifically, Danny's job is also as a bit of a devil's advocate because he comes in. And he asks the team, "How? what do you feel about the fact that you're arresting people who actually haven't done a crime yet? Um, mm-hmm. and he, That's a good question. Yeah, and he asks about the possibility of false positives. In other words, that someone be, would be identified as the killer, but then, you know, turn out not to be. Or, um, or I can't remember if we talked about this last week. Like, you, what it, what is the criteria in terms of, like, Oh, I got so mad at someone that I thought about killing them. Oh, like, but yeah, I yeah, wasn't yeah. Actually, gonna do it. 
Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, does yeah. it have to be? I, it, no, I think that's a very good question because like the, so all we know so far in this movie is that in, in this case, the guy clearly thought about it and then he had scissors in his hand and he was in the bedroom standing over them. So in that case, it seems like I mean, pretty, that's, that's a pretty little, damning. Um, yeah, that's not great. But I think I take your point because, like, the precogs, presumably their skill is, like, scanning people's thoughts and finding the ones right. that are bad. So, yeah, technically, right. if you just thought, oh, I could kill you. Um, right. Maybe, like, I wonder what triggers their Yeah, like reaction. what the threshold is for yeah. it being a problem. Because I feel like I feel like if it was just pure thought, they would not be able to keep up with it. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Like, it would be like, like we've gotten 500,000 does... hits in the past 30 minutes. Like yeah, it's like it's like it's Christmas day, everybody wants to kill their <laughs> entire family. Like what? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like everyone who celebrates Christmas straight. is in a murderous rage the whole day. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, seriously. Like, I mean, I'm not kidding. Like, I, I think it really like if just like passing thoughts of like, oh, I'm gonna right. fucking kill you. Right. If that like tripped the system, they would be in trouble. Well, and I also think about that's one good point. The other good point is like, they we see how they narrowed down the identity of this person in the cold open, but like, the precogs just have pictures and visions of people. So. Um, what if someone just looked a lot like someone else and then they figure out, then they're like, oh, you know who it is? It's Samuel Jones. So let's go find Samuel Jones. But like, what if it's actually like Richard um, McGillicuddy, but they just look a bit alike? And what if they're, yeah. Or what if there's identical twins and one is a murderous <gasps> monster and the other one is like a priest? That is or, like the movie we need to write. <laughs> I think we. I would. I would like it. I would change from priest because actually that's not. I would. I would think of something more. Like I mean, that's kind of fun, but pure. Something it's more fun, pure. But I mean, I don't. Yeah, I was something like a priest doesn't really seem that pure anymore. But yeah. like something like, like a like really a, good Walmart a, employee. A, <laughs> I was gonna say like a daycare teacher or something. Oh but yeah, yeah, that yeah. works too. Um. I like that. Yeah. That's a good movie. Hmm. Yeah. Well, we got it. We'll get onto it. Um, yeah. So, but when Danny asks these questions, Anderton and his team, like, scoff in his face. And they're like, that's never happened. And again, to, to anybody who works in science or technology or whatever, I'm like, just because something has never happened doesn't mean it's not going to. Um, of course. Like, and especially this program, my impression is that this program has only been running a little while, like maybe four or five years or something. So like, yeah, we don't have an, I don't think it's safe to say that that will never happen quite yet. Um, well, and, and just, again, I, I'm not a scientist, but I'm pretty sure it's big in the science world not to say like, that's never possible. Yeah, yeah. Right? No. Like, pretty Sci- much never. Yeah. Scientists are very reticent to use words like impossible or never. Um, yeah. But I guess these guys aren't scientists. They're just the people using just, the tools that scientists 
yeah. have made. So they're yeah. quite, and I mean, let's face it, um, it seems that in any era, police officers are not really like people who are into nuance. So, um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's what we're dealing with. And so they're like, no, there's no possible way. Um, and then they also point out that like one of the ways that we can prevent any sort of disruption to the system is that we don't interact with the precogs. They're in their weird tub and we never go in there. Um, and Danny's like, well, today's the day that someone's going in there. I'm going in there right now. Um, they kind of freak out about that, but he does go in there. Um, and really the point of this scene is to help the, at this point, super clueless viewer have a chance to understand what's going on here. Um, and so we get this weird guy who is like the caretaker for the precogs named Wally. He explains mm-hmm. um, how it all works. Um, and this is when Colin Farrell is like, well, you know, the way all of you are talking about is that the system is kind of quote unquote perfect, but there has to be a flaw somewhere. And they're like, no, 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 there simply isn't. And he's like, well, anything that involves human beings, there's the chance of human error at the very least. Sure. You surely you can accept that. And they're like, no. And I'm like, okay, well. And then, then, I, then I would be like, you've lost all your credibility. Like, get out of here. <laughs> like, And no sooner does that happen than Agatha, the female precog, um, starts screaming and, like, grabs um, Anderton and shows him this jumbled image. Like, the image is, like, projected onto the ceiling of the room, and it's of this drowning woman and everyone is super freaked out because they've never seen a precog behave this way. So that's concerning. Mm-hmm. Um, so then Anderton, I guess out of an abundance of caution, not really sure why he does this. Um, he does some investigation uh, to figure out who, that, who the whim- woman is in Agatha's image. And it turns out that she's a woman who has been killed a number of years before um, and that uh, she was killed by a John Doe. Um, Hmm. So the and the John Doe has been arrested and he's in what is called the Department of Containment. Um, Yikes. Yeah. Oh, it does not look good to be arrested in this uh, timeline. Um, because you're put into stasis in those weird, like, cylinders. Mm. Yeah, I I can't remember, but I know that I've, from other crazy-ass things we've watched, like, the idea of stasis and, like, that whole, that I don't like that. Well, I mean, let's face it. You don't want to be in jail in any timeline, probably. Um, Yeah. But this one seems especially crappy because you're put into a weird tube, you're put into, yeah, stasis. So you're like, I don't know if you're experiencing something while you're in that. Like, is it like a dream state? I don't know. But like, your head is shaved. There's a weird thing around your head. Um, and then you're in this tube and the tube goes down into the ground and then gets pulled up when somebody wants to look at your records or something. Yeah, um, no, thank you. No, it seems exceptionally bad 
Um, yeah. What we do learn is that the woman in the footage is named Anne Lively, that she's a missing person, so her body has never been found, and that John Doe is the one responsible for drowning her. And so Anderton, a policeman at heart, is like, there sure are a lot of bits of missing information in this story, and that seems odd that, like, Mm -hmm. you know, that the arrest would be made... That we don't know where this woman is. You know, like, we don't have enough information. And especially, I guess, the thing is, like, in the context of pre-crime and how it works, I guess you normally would have quite a lot of information about everything. Mm -hmm. Um, And so he starts wanting to poke at the holes in the story. Mm. Um, So then, to do that, he goes to um, the big boss man's Lamar's house and he and Lamar clearly have some kind of like ongoing friendship um they want the pre-crime thing to move outside of the DC area to the national level um Lamar thinks that Anderton is kind of the face of that campaign um and it seems like part of what has gotten Anderton on board to pre-crime is the the death of his son because his son was murdered sometime in the past um Mm -hmm. and it's like if you had if we had had this technology that would have never happened to your son but what anderton really wants to know because i guess lamar is one of the actual creators of the like how all of this works um and so he's like what about um, like what happens to these visions once they're once they're used, and what's this echo thing? And basically, Lamar redirects him to be like, "Hey, man, are you okay? You look partied out from future heroin and such." <laughs> um, so that that's kind of all that happens. But this this scene will come to have import later. Um, then we return back to the uh, police station where Agatha now has a pre-vision. And in this case, what she sees is that a man named Leo Crow is going to be killed. And most concerning from the point of view of Anderton, Anderton is the one who's going to do it. Um, Dun, dun, dun. Yes. Uh, We probably should have seen this coming, but I guess we didn't. So here we are. Um, Now, because of, I don't really get the like work roles between these various people at the pre-crime place, but Anderton is able to review this pre-vision footage before anyone else. And so he takes, like, I don't think, I can't remember if I talked about this last week or not, but like... Um, when a prevision comes, it comes with a weird little ball that gets, oh. that kind of seems to function a bit like a flash drive, like it carries the information on that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. so when the ball that says that Anderton is going to kill Leo Crow comes down the weird gumball shoot, um, <laughs> I mean, that's what it looked like to me. Um, yeah, I know. I'm, I'm sure you're right. Uh, Anderton, like takes that ball before his team can see it. Um, And then he's like, oh, shit. Um, And now he's trying to get out of the building as fast as he possibly can. 
uh, because he fe- he's concerned that he's been framed, right? So mm-hmm. he he manages to get out of the police department, and then he gets into his car where he calls um, Lamar immediately and tells him the situation, and he's like, I'm being framed for killing this man that I, I have no idea who he is. Um, so I don't know how I could possibly be responsible for his murder. Um, and I was thinking about this, like in the lead up to recording today, this has got to be kind of rough because he really believes that pre-crime works. Like he, he's a full, (laughs) um, adopter of this. And so to, to then see that he's from his perspective, he is definitely going to kill this person. Like, mm-hmm. um, because that... Right, he says it doesn't ever make a mistake and right. no false positives or whatever he says. Right, so he's like, I'm going to kill this person, and yet simultaneously he's like, but why would I kill someone I don't even know? Um, and I, I feel like a, a less charitable person would be like, hmm, then maybe the system isn't so perfect, is it, sir? Um, <laughs> but I feel like he... I mean, the movie isn't really going to linger on this because it's, I would say it's more of an action movie or intended to be than it is science fiction. Yes. Like pure science fiction. But I was like, that's got to be like a real like situation for this person where you're like, I've spent my professional career believing this to be true. And now this system that I believe in says I'm going to be a murderer. It's turning on me basically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in the meantime, uh, Danny is now like the head at the pre-crime department and is responsible for tracking down Anderton. Um, this is when we get something that is concerning um, about this new future that um, it seems like what, like rather than having phones that get scanned or cards or a tattoo somewhere on your wrist or something in this Mm -hmm. version of the future people's eyeballs are the things that get scanned to link up to their like identity profiles so yeah anderton is trying to get onto the dc metro and so now instead of using a card like you do now to get on the metro your eyes get scanned to like link up to your account so Mm -hmm. Unsurprisingly, um, the team figures out where he is. Um, this is also this is also something that's quite kind of prescient of where we're going. Um, there's a lot of CCTV cameras around this version of mm. Washington D.C. So between that and the scans, like basically nobody is unfindable. Yeah, um, and that is a thing that is increasingly the way our world works is not that we're going to be scanned by like a chip in our body. Um, but that CC, but, between, yeah, but the phone thing, but your phone at between that and CCTV, like everybody knows where you are all the time. Yeah. Um, which is woof. fun. <laughs> you know, I mean, I guess just definitely never do a crime <laughs> ever, ever, just like- ever. Don't break the law, everybody. Yeah. And so in this chase scene, which goes on 
Um, again, I know this is our personal lament. Like, the action bits of this were really long. Um, and so yeah. we have this chase scene that starts in the metro and then goes to the street and then goes to a car factory. Um, and, like, at one point, the police have, like, jet packs that they're using, um, mm. you know, and... I I don't know. These scenes, I was just like, oh, I'll just, like, get through this, I guess. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I know that this is, um, lots of my opinions are unpopular, but this one is unpopular. Um, I, I don't like action scenes. Like, it, does, it doesn't do much for me. Like, um, I don't care. <laughs> yeah. So I tend to, in, in an action scene, kind of zone out a little bit. Yeah. And because also mostly they're predictable like you know mostly it's oh, the guy you want to win is gonna win <laughs> like well I've not seen yeah. too many action movies where the person you don't want to win ends up defeated do you know what I mean like yeah yeah the outcome just movies yeah but, the outcome is like he's gonna get away they're gonna beat this person yeah I mean like I saw the new Top Gun movie and I know lots of people probably who like planes like all the like flying Yeah, things. yeah. I heard that it was I decently okay. I didn't hate it. I yeah, it was I it was definitely it was definitely fine. Um if you if you like that sort of thing, you probably would love it and lots of callbacks to the first one, blah yeah, blah blah. Of so course, if you're like yeah. a fan of the franchise, sure. Um and not even though I'm not a fan, Tom Cruise, I will say he looks good. Sure. He's, you know, yeah. kept himself in shape all yeah. the things yeah yeah but but I do prefer that I preferred the dialogue scenes and I preferred the other stuff I the the flying parts weren't yeah. my favorite even though I know that's like what the movie was about yeah yeah I feel the same like I mean I can watch an action sequence and and sometimes it is like oh that was a a, a type of move I haven't seen before or that's like a way to shoot that thing that I've never seen before, you know. And by shoot, I don't mean use a gun, mm-hmm. although I, it could work that way too. I mean, like, yeah. oh, that's like we've put the camera in this position and then people are, like, jumping in this way. Yeah. And that's interesting, you know, like. Yeah. So there's that, but. Um, yeah. Even for, even for all of that, I still think almost every action sequence is too long. Like, um, and this is no exception because then then it's like, there's a part where Anderton and Danny are actively fighting directly with each other while they're going through this like car manufacturing place. And <laughs> as a result of that, Anderton falls off this weird like mechanical arm sort of device. And then you're then clearly like the police think that he's dead. But then the whole point of that was to have this reveal where, like, as the car is, like, ticking along on the conveyor belt, um, as it's being assembled into a real car, then we see Anderton's head pop up in the window and he drives away in the fancy, like, future um, Porsche or whatever it is. Um, Yeah. Oh, and and that is... I did like that car. That is, I think I mentioned it last week, the car where, like, <laughs> it's driving forward, but it kind of looks like it's backwards. Going back, yeah. The, the wheels look like they're going yeah. backwards or something. Um, yeah. So he drives in this fancy car out to some country home that is very 
like we see a sign that says no trespassing, but of course he trespasses right away. Um, <laughs> he jumps over a wall, which has these very like active vines on it. Like they are moving um, and they grab onto him. But then he eventually goes into a greenhouse where he meets this like rather unusual woman. Um, and now I need to, I forgot to pull up the IMDb page for this because I forget the character's Over that lady? name. Yeah. Oh. Because she's the one. Yeah, I definitely don't remember her name. Who is the true inventor of pre-crime. Like she's the scientist who really figured out all of the like things going on here. So let's see, where is she? Dr. Iris Heinemann. That's who it is. Okay. Um, played by that Lois. That was on the tip of my tongue. But. I know. It's such an obviously rememberable name. Um, <laughs> played by Lois Smith. Um, this was a good cameo, I would say. Uh, and, but I, and I kind of thought we were going to get more What is she her. known for? Uh, good question. Let's see. Is she famous for something? Um, I mean, I recognize I kind of recognize her. her. Um, let's see. Her most known for things are this, of course, um, and Twister. She was in, apparently. Oh, she's the, uh, yeah, she's, uh, I think she's um, the grandma lady in that. <laughs> probably. probably. The old that lady in that. Out. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, she appears, and I would have liked actually to see more of her because um, she played this character really fucking weird. Um, <laughs> like, I don't assume that scientists are uniquely incapable of, like, human interaction or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. but this woman definitely had this vibe, which was like, um, a bit of a, like, poison ivy, and, like, she, she was kind of a Batman villain-ish feel, because mm. she was explaining, she was like, oh, well, you know, um, those plants that were moving around those vines, um, you're poisoned now. Yeah, uh, because I don't like trespassers, trespassers. So, she, but she's very chill about it. So she's like, I'm making some tea yeah. uh, to, to help you with this poison. Um, and he's like, See, I kind of liked what? her. I kind of liked it. I, I kind of want to be her. Like, I want to be like an old scientist lady who just like casually poisons people. I mean, I think. I don't know. It does. I kind of liked it. Hollywood does suggest that there's an age that women get to and then poisoning is like a thing we're into. Um, well, it definitely is a, there is, <laughs> I've watched like arsenic many, and old like, lace and shows. Stuff. Yeah. Well, I've watched too many like murder shows where, you know, the, the weapon of choice for female is all killers poison. and yeah, generally, generally, but also like <laughs> there is this thing I think also in Hollywood, like you're similar to what you're saying is a woman reaches a certain age and she is a recluse and just kind of a little bit off her rocker, whether that be she oh, yeah. poisons people, whether whether that be she's like, you know, a literal witch or <laughs> whether or or she's just like crazy or whatever. You know right, what I mean? Like it's right. not like you just age and you're kind of, you keep being normal. <laughs> no, you absolutely as a woman, here are, here are some important things. Are you a woman? Can't age normally. Um, are you a woman yeah. with no husband? Even weirder. Um, are, are you a woman who used to have an important big boy job? Even weirder. 
Um, so your your mind is like you're yeah, not okay. Yeah, your mind has turned into like a twisted raisin of what it once was, <laughs> and more to the point, and this is the only thing that I would say is actually real. It's like the reason you can do this is because society doesn't give a shit about you anymore. And so you're completely unnoticed by anyone. And so do Mm. as many crimes to your heart's delight. No one's going (laughs) to care and no one's going to see it and no one's going to know. Like why weren't the pre-crime people brought into her when she was poisoning this guy? Like where was that? That's a good point. Um, I mean, I but I do have a bit of an answer, sh- but it's about the reveal, so I, okay. I won't do it yet. Um, okay, okay. Nonetheless, uh, oh wait, were you going to say something else? No, that's that's it. Okay, so she gives him the antidote. He's sought her out because we learn that she is the inventor of pre-crime. Specifically, she's a geneticist that worked with children who were, I'm trying to see if I can remember this to say it properly. Like, so that future heroine, um, mm-hmm. I guess when you got really addicted to it and also had a baby, it was bad. Um, or not, Or not bad per se, but sometimes what would happen is that the kids would get these abilities um, for precognition. Ooh. Um, oh, okay. So, so they like they turned into like mutants of a. Of I a guess, I guess. And so mm. her previous professional interest had been working with these children to understand um, like what genetic changes resulted from this situation. And mm. out of this group of however many kids there might have been, um, the three precogs were the most gifted, and. I guess what we're meant to infer is that when she saw what they were capable of doing together, that's when she was like, oh, this can be applied to, cr- like, crime. Mm-hmm. So now, so then Anderton asks the question that he said was never going to happen. He's like, can they ever be wrong? And she, as well, says, never. <laughs> um, that's wild. But what she does say is that they can't be wrong, but because there are three of them, they can disagree. And mm. when they... Then when, I would have questions about that. Well, yes. And that's when we get the description of the title of this film. When they disagree, something is created called a minority report. Mm. And I guess... I mean, just if we want to, like, fully understand the phrase, I guess what that means is that one of them thinks one of th- one thing and two of them think another mm. thing. So the person in the minority... So they go with... They go with the one who has two. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, but, they, but they still have to record... Right. The minority okay. report, which is the one person's Got it. version of thing. Now... Got it. According to Dr... Iris something. Um, Heinemann, I think you said. Oh, great, great. Thank you. Um, The public was never made aware of the existence of these minority reports because, of course, that would undermine the whole thing. Um, Mm -hmm. And so 
she says, if, if you've been indicated as the person responsible for this murder of Leo Crow, what you need to find is a minority report, because if one of them thinks that something different, then there will be a minority report somewhere in the system, and so that's what you need to do. Um, mm-hmm. And he's like, okay, so where would I find it? And she's like, oh, the system, again, the system is perfect. I made it. Um, I hid the, <laughs> the minority report inside the mind of the most talented precog, and that is Agatha. So basically, ah, you need to kidnap this woman. <laughs> That's what to, she says. It's, it's no, yeah, it's like, it's no big deal. You just need to, like, rip open her brain. Don't worry yes. about it. Like, yes. it's real easy to get. <laughs> yes. Um, and he's like, great, thank you. No follow-up questions. Goodbye forever. <laughs> great, thank you. Um, and we never oh see this God. doctor again. And I was like, wait, what? Like, I mean, I guess she doesn't super matter to the story, but like, I, I thought we but were going to. But she drops kind of an intense bomb. And yeah. Then like, and then out. never returned to again. Um, so then we get a bit of a montage isn't quite right, but we have a scene where, um, Anderton is doing what he needs to do so that he can, um, abduct Agatha and in this version of the future, basically what this means is he has to get his eyes replaced. <laughs> okay. I mean, because um, this is where he's in some weird safe house. There's this actor who's a character actor who I feel like I've seen play a Russian before. Um, and he's oh, like, yeah. You know who he is. You know what? You know, I think if I'm remembering the guy correctly, you know who what I think he's in. I what? think he's in... Armageddon, and he plays a Russian in Armageddon. Oh, really? Okay, I gotta now. Hold on, now I gotta figure. I that might be out wrong, too. but I want to say he's because remember, there's like the crazy. There's like, well, I guess maybe it's rude to say like the crazy Russian, but there's yeah, like yeah, the yeah. crazy Russian guy yeah, yeah, yeah. in Armageddon who's. I think it might be him if I'm remembering this correctly. I might be remember, misremembering the actor. Hold on, let's see if I can figure it out. Not that. Not that. No. There's a person identified as Hamburger Dad in this cast, which is what really <laughs> quite something. Um, oh, is That's this amazing. I don't remember what that means. No, I don't remember. Oh, okay. So this guy is, the actor's name is Peter Stormare. And he is in Armageddon as Lev Andropov. You are exactly right. <laughs> Oh I, right? That's, I'm pretty sure that's what it, yeah. You're exactly right. Yes. Well done. Well done. That is <laughs> quite a recall he got there. Um, so this is a very intense scene. He plays this insane butcher man, and he's also, because, like, I think if I remember correctly, Anderton has arrested him before, um, not for mm-hmm. murder, because there still are other crimes that exist. So he's been arrest- arrested. So he's like, now is my, like, turnabout is fair play. I can kind of um, fuck with you a little bit because you want to hide your identity and you're doing this eye replacement surgery. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. So this is what happens. His eyes do get replaced. Um, and he has to hang out in this weird apartment. Um, but the police are also looking for him at the same time. So this is when, I guess, um, like this is the image that is on the poster of this movie, that weird spider thing over his eye. Um, 
that's oh. this part. Um, mm. And the police, like, send the spiders to go into this apartment building. And then the spiders, like, well, one, they, like, walk around. But they also, like, do. They have some sort of feature where they go over your eye to scan your eye to determine your identity. Um, but uh, luckily, um, Anderton's eyes by then have had enough time, not the required amount of time, but enough time to heal enough so that he is identified as Mr. Yakamoto. <laughs> Which is funny for a number of reasons. Um, but I also, I realized once um, in like the following scene when you really see both of Tom Cruise's eyes revealed, he was wearing brown contacts the rest of this movie. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, I, I didn't yeah. know Oh, that's like, interesting. I didn't notice that. Eye color is, like, pretty subtle, but it is one of those things that when it's different, you're like, wait, something, something's different. Something's um, off. Yeah, and yeah. so he has blue eyes, but for the rest of the movie, he's wearing brown contacts uh, because he's got Yakamoto eyes, I guess. Mm. So, um, <laughs> yeah, and I'm not going to say more than that because we're going to be in trouble. Um, and so... Now with these new eyes, he sneaks back into the pre-crime department um, and gets into the temple room, the tub room, where he explains to Wally mm -hmm. what he needs. And Wally's like, what the fuck are you talking about? You're going to take Agatha. Like, <laughs> absolutely not. And I will say Wally also has some sort of creepy, like, I'm in love with her with Agatha thing going on that doesn't really get explored thankfully but it does seem to be a thing um mm -hmm. so um ultimately though anderton is able to abduct agatha um and the way he does this is he like so it's this big room with this big tub where like three adults are laying in it floating in it but apparently it's got like a drain, like a flush, like a toilet flush that it can do. Gross. Um, and so that's how he's able to escape because as people realize what's going on and he's like kind of trying to like pull Agatha out of the water, um, which by the way, oh my God, like a person who is drugged up to the max and soaking wet, like that's one of the heaviest things a person could ever carry. <laughs> so I don't it, know do drugs what, make you heavy um well it's more like you know when you go dead weight just like full dead weight yeah yeah, yeah. you've gone full dead weight and you're soaking wet <laughs> like you're yeah, at, no, you're at not good. maximum yeah. heaviness whatever your like poundage is you are at maximum <laughs> heaviness that way yeah yeah um and so, for, but nonetheless, he's, like, attempting to carry her out of the tub. And then I guess he realizes that that's stupid. So then I don't really know how this, but he, like, pulls something and then they all flush down or, like, he flushes down with her. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it was quite something. Um, and then, then this is a, so there's now a whole bunch of problems because not only has he abducted Agatha, the pre-crime whole thing only works with all three of them. 
Mm-hmm. So now they can't do any pre-crime stuff, and they can't search for Anderton with that method because it's not going to work. Um, but they've figured out uh, that, well, I guess they figured this out before. They know that Anderton is meant to kill this Leo Crow guy, and they say there's only 51 minutes before the crime is meant to happen. And I did, mm. I mean, I kind of enjoyed this. They check in on that time clock a number of times over the next little while. And I guess it's like mm-hmm. meant to build tension. It's like, eh, there's only 26 minutes or whatever. Yeah. Um, but the thing about them doing that in movies, it's, I, I get why they do that in movies, but I'm always very distracted because I'm like, either not enough happens in a time lapse or too much happens. Well, where and it's like, you're telling me all of that happened in 10 minutes or right, I'm like, right. they did nothing and it's been 30 minutes. Yeah. Or what, you know what I mean? Yeah, whatever yeah. it is. Like, and I, I thought... Get, I get distracted by that. And sometimes when... And I guess I agree with you, but then also I feel like if you're going to actively say the number of minutes or hours or whatever... Um, I guess minutes is a better way. Like, then I was like, Mm -hmm. because I remember looking at the time code, like where we were at that time, I was like, Mm -hmm. but there's not 51 minutes left of movie. Because I Mm. thought, like, because I like that sometimes when a movie actually does like real time, like, this is, you know, and I, and I was thinking like, is that what we're going to do here? That would be interesting. But it wasn't because it was like. Now I can't remember if there was quite a lot more than 51 minutes left or quite a lot less, but I was like, oh, okay, that's kind of let down. I would have liked that to be more of a thing. Um, But also, even in this realm of the the reality of this movie, I don't think what happens next could have happened in only 51 minutes because then... Usually it's... Usually it's unrealistic, yeah, the time period and what happens. Yeah, because then Anderton brings Agatha to this weird club um, where mm-hmm. it's like a fantasy club and the owner is named Rufus and he, like, they walk in and you see different, um, mostly business guys having weird fantasy things fulfilled in this club. Um, and this is another person that Anderton has is aware of because of his job as a police officer. I mean, I guess what I'm now realizing is that there were a lot of side characters in this movie that I would have liked to spend more time with than in the story itself. Um, mm-hmm. Like, the side characters seemed a lot more interesting than the main story. Yeah. Um, and this was one of them, because this guy apparently has, like, some kind of skills with computers and with holograms and, like whatever, to create these fantasy experiences. Um, but Anderton is like, you can, like, make some kind of MacGyver-style tub thing so that I can see in Agatha's brain to look for the minority report. And Rufus is like, no, I fucking can't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what are you talking about? Right. Um, but he's basically like, I can't remember if he actually pulls a gun on him, but this is a typical action movie thing is like just fucking figure it out um so that he does manage to do that and Agatha again shows him this image of the drowning woman and lively and then also says 
they're here. They're inside. Um, so the cops have already followed him to this place somehow. Um, and already, I'm like, 50 minutes have to have passed already because this Rufus guy had to build a whole machine. Yeah, damn. I mean, unless he's like an actual MacGyver-style genius, this seems nuts. Um, they manage, Agatha, of course, again, as we say, Agatha and Anderton manage to escape. Um, and I, this was kind of fun to watch because, because Agatha can tell the future. She was telling him to do things that seemed bizarre until... There was a reason. So, like, one of the first things she says is, get an umbrella. And then she says, stand over here. And then, you know, like, all this stuff. And then she mm -hmm. meant, and as a result, like, one of the things that they do is she's like, wait, wait, wait. We need to stand here. We need to stand here. And it's because um, in that position, none of the police see them because a balloon man goes by. Um, now, I find that strange that one like bouquet of balloons is enough to hide these people from like super future cops but apparently mm -hmm. that's all we need um and by the time they get they manage to get out of this mall that they've escaped into um it's raining and so then the umbrella is the final piece to their escape because then the police lose them in the crowd of umbrellas in the downpour Mm -hmm. Um, but as they get outside, Anderton sees, um, an image that was in the image of his killing Leo Crow, which is this like guy in sunglasses. And we realize that what it is, is it's a billboard that's up on a building, which then leads Anderton and Agatha to a hotel where it's like the you can see the billboard from the hotel windows. So we're mm -hmm. in this hotel. Leo Crow is, in fact, staying there. Agatha has gotten increasingly agitated, unsurprisingly. She seems to, like, be fine with the being kidnapped part, weirdly. Mm -hmm. um, but she's, yeah, she's, like, agitated on Anderton's behalf. That's weird. Yeah. I think all the years, I, I know we talked about this last week briefly. Like, even the technician Wally guy, who supposedly loves this woman, um, says it's best to not think of them as human beings. So it seems like she's really internalized that to, like, absolutely not care for herself and only care for others. Um and, like, experience emotion on the behalf of other people. Because she's like, you got to get out of here. You can make a choice. Um, which, again, is interesting because she's undermining the idea that, um, like, that pre-crime never is wrong. She's like, you can just leave right now. And you will never kill this guy. Um, but Anderton basically can't do it because the mystery of it all, he wants to know how he knows this guy and he can't let it go. Mm -hmm. So then we cut to five minutes before the murder. Uh, we're going into Leo Crow's hotel room. 
on the bed, we find all, like, I guess it looks like maybe hundreds of pictures of little kids. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, no, 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 no. This is <laughs> bad. Like, an adult man's hotel room with pictures of children all around it is bad. Not um, good. And in, and of course, as you would expect, in this pile of pictures, one of the pictures we see is Anderton's dead son. And so he's like, I got him. I finally found my son's killer. Crow then walks into the room. We have another bit of a fight scene. Um, and then Crow is like, you're right, you're right. Um, I killed him. And Anderton like wants to know this. I don't, again, maybe it's because he's a police officer. I'm not sure, but like, he wants to know the conditions and circumstances of his child's death. And I'm not sure I would want that yeah. information. No, I, I, I am not a parent, but I assuredly would not. Or even if I would want it, I don't think I maybe need it. Yeah. Like, I don't think it's going to help. Um, no. And in this case, it actually actively harms because as Anderton is pressing Crow for information about his son's death, it starts seeming like Crow doesn't really know anything. Because um, his answer is kind of this generic, like, I, you know, I met him at the pool, he didn't suffer, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. So anyway, um, because... Agatha has indicated that there's an amount of choice at play. Anderton's like, okay, well, this is a bit weird, but I'm going to arrest you. And uh, we'll just take you downtown or whatever. And Crow starts getting really upset, like really agitated. And he's like, no, 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 you're supposed to kill me. And Anderton is like, what? Um, WTF. And he's like, no, no, no. If you don't kill me, my family doesn't get any money. And he's like, wait, what? And then it comes out, Crow absolutely did not kill Anderton's son. He is just um, a crime guy who has been paid to pretend to be Anderton's son's killer. Um... And he's like, my family needs that money. I was told I would get this money, but I I have to die to do it. And now you're fucking this up for me. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And Anderton is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Who paid you? Like, what's going on? Um, And so then in Crow's own desperation, he grabs Anderton's gun and like kind of pulls it to his own stomach and kills himself that way. And he falls out of the window Um, but again, this is the whole thing is like, because we've seen this death a number of times already in the movie, Mm -hmm. what happens looks a lot like that. Um, yeah, we, as the audience, we know that Anderton didn't kill him, but even the way the gun was positioned and stuff, it would appear to a police officer that Anderton was the one to kill Leo Crow. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. At this point, Agatha is really freaking out. Um, mm-hmm. And she's like, we've got to get out of here. 
Um, and so they do. Um, then some time passes. The police are there. Danny looks at the crime scene. And he's like, boy, oh boy, is there a lot of evidence to suggest that Anderton killed this guy. Almost, one might say, too much evidence. And I don't know. I mean, this seems like a real movie thing. Like, I believe it in a movie, but I don't think I believe it for real life. Mm-hmm. Like, in real life, if there's a lot of evidence, then that's because you did the crime. Right, of course. Yeah. Um, whereas in the movies, we can say, there is too much evidence. And that seems suspicious. Um so this like puts a bug in the bonnet or a bee in the bonnet of Colin Farrell, aka Danny. So then Danny goes back to Anderton's apartment, and he's actually, for some reason, I'm not totally sure why, he has called um Lamar, the director, the old guy, to come and speak with him about what's been going on. Um and so basically, uh what Danny reveals to Lamar is he's like, it all seems to more or less uh, have to do with this weird image of this drowning woman that we keep seeing that Agatha keeps showing. Mm -hmm. And he was like, and so I looked at the footage and I noticed that in some of the images, the ripples in the water are going one way. And in some of the other images, the ripples are going in another way. And that means that these images are from different times of day. And so Danny's a smart cookie. And he's like, I think what this means is that someone hid a real murder in that echo image that we know exists and is often purged from the system. Okay. Um, and so, like, basically he's like, but anyone who would know to do that has to be, well, first of all, they have to know that these echoes exist in the first place, um, which, again, Uh I think much like how Dr. Iris said the public doesn't know about minority reports, my guess is the public doesn't know about these echoes either, Um, Mm -hmm. so you have to have someone who would know about that and you'd have to have someone who could actively manipulate that as well. Like actually know the system well enough to do that. And so Mm -hmm. he, so he's like, so now I'm realizing there's, it's gotta be some sort of inside job. This, this woman, Anne Lively probably is dead. Um, and someone, not the person who has been arrested for the crime, the John Doe, but somebody else Mm -hmm. has to be responsible for that death. And in a possible surprise turn of events, I don't, I can't remember now if I was surprised by this or not. Um, right as Danny reaches his like kind of massive conclusion, like, can you believe it? Um, Lamar is like, oh, I certainly can you dead. And he shoots Danny <laughs> right in the chest. Um, and then we know that, well, do we know that Lamar has killed Anne Lively or do we just know that, I guess maybe we don't fully, we might not necessarily assume 
that he's killed Anne Lively. Yeah. Um, but we do yeah. have to, I think, at this point, assume that he's trying to protect pre-crime, like protect that system, not right. let this kind of um, oversight get out. Um, so he kills Danny, and then in Anderton's apartment, by the way, so like, I guess, further framing Anderton. Um, and then he calls up Anderton's ex-wife, Lara, who Lara, it's, uh, reveals that Anderton has just arrived at her house. Um, because she doesn't know that Lamar is the bad guy. Um, at the country okay. home, uh, yeah, so this is, like, this is maybe the last 20 minutes of movie, and it gets a little bit mm-hmm. nuts at this point. Um, because we because go up to, to... now, it's been super normal. Well, I guess what I would say is up to now, the story has been chugging along in one direction. And now yeah. we've had the twist. And while I like the twist, I do, um, I don't know if people had quite worked out how to, like, where in the story the twist should fall. Because, yeah, like, hold on a second. I want to see when um, The Sixth Sense comes out. I think it's before this. Really? You think it's before 2002? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's 1999. It's 99. Oh, so, wow. God, that so, movie's old. <laughs> yeah. Um, still good, very old. Um, and so, like... That's the ultimate twist, baby. I mean, even M. Night Shyamalan <laughs> hasn't been able to beat that twist. No, that's definitely his best one, for sure. But... I think the thing is, is like, I guess what I'll say is generally speaking, I think a twist works best when there's like no more than 10 minutes of movie left. Um, Mm -hmm. And so you're kind of left being like, what? Um, Right. This is like quite a lot of movies left at this point. Like Mm -hmm. a lot more exposition has to happen. And I'm like, this makes us feel a bit clunky. Um, and yeah, it's so true because I, it's so true because I think that is a huge, <laughs> we'll talk about, uh, Sixth Sense, we'll do a Sixth Sense podcast, but like, <laughs> I think that is what makes that twist, um, successful is because you, it explains it enough so that right. you're not like, right. well, that doesn't make sense, but it doesn't over explain it or then go in a completely opposite direction. The movie like explains it and then it's over, you know what I mean? Right. Like, right. It's. Um, yeah. Yeah. So this, though, we get, we still, there's still a lot of explaining, I guess, that has to happen. So we get to Lara's house in the country. Agatha and Anderton arrive there. Anderton starts saying to Lara how he's being framed. um, And that he has now realized not in the same way that Danny realized, but he has also realized that there is something to do with this Anne Lively drowning that is a problem mm-hmm. that is trying to be covered up. And then there's like this very long scene um, or sequence, I guess is a better way to say it, um, where mm-hmm. Agatha is like looking at um, their dead kid's toys in their dead kid's room. Um, 
and then telling some story about some lady and you're like what's going on and then I think it's um yeah it's Tom Cruise who says oh, Anne Lively was your mother and Agatha is like yes um and so uh I so I think at this point what we have learned is that Agatha was the daughter of Anne Lively. Anne Lively was a future heroin addict. So Agatha got taken mm. away from her. Okay, mm. that's that's where we are okay. right now. Um, okay. The police then catch up to everyone um, because Lara, of course, has told Lamar. Lamar has told the police. Um, and so Anderton is arrested. Um, Agatha is returned to go back into the pool and live as a non-entity the rest of her life. And Anderton is put into that tube in the Department of Containment. And Mm -hmm. it seems like everything's over. But uh, it is not. Because then um, we're in Lamar's office, his fancy office. um, And it looks like maybe he... I don't know if he is a senator or he wants to be a senator, but his office looks of that ilk. Um, mm-hmm. And Lara is there and she's like, I just can't understand why my ex-husband would kill this guy. He was a stranger. Like, also, he was saying kind of crazy shit when, before anybody arrived. Mm-hmm. Um, and Lamar's like, yeah, I don't know. He was using drugs. I kind of just ascribed a lot of this behavior to that. And then Lara was like, well, he kept saying the name Anne Lively. Do you know anything about that? I don't know who this woman is. Um, And Lamar's like, no, I have no idea who she is. I I don't know anything about how she drowned. And then (laughs) Lara's like, I never said she drowned. And I was like, oh, now I see what happens. Um, so So that's when Lara... And if anyone else is not quite caught up in the audience yet to this, that's when we fully understand that Lamar is the one who killed Anne Lively however many years ago and created Mm -hmm. the conditions so that he could conceal that murder. So Mm -hmm. once Lara, like Lara might be the smartest one of the bunch because she figures this out amazingly quickly. And gets out of that office, gets to the Department of Containment, holds the guy in charge of that place uh, up at gunpoint um, to get Tom Cruise out of his tube. Then they go to the fancy dinner. So Lamar was going to some fancy awards dinner. So the final scene of the movie, yes, is... Um, We're at the fancy awards dinner. Lamar is being given this like special um, award and recognition of all his work with pre-crime. The award is Mm. a celebrate, ceremonial, that's the word I'm looking for, ceremonial golden gun. Mm. Um, And so he says, thank you everyone, blah, 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 blah. And then as he is leaving the stage, (laughs) His assistant is like, oh, you're getting an emergency phone call. You better take it. And he's like, okay, okay. Um, And so the next little bit of this scene is like we're cutting back and forth and we're seeing Lamar's face get increasingly um, concerned. 
um, because mm-hmm. Anderton is calling him saying, I know exactly what you did. Agatha was the most skilled precog, and so she was essential to the pre-crime initiative working. And when her mom came back saying, I've cleaned up my life and I want my kid back, it was like, that's not possible. We need her to make this pre-crime thing work. So Mm -hmm. um, basically... Uh, Lamar eventually decides that the the thing to do is to kill this woman. So he invites her out to this lake or whatever where he's going to drown her. And as Anderton is explaining, so brutal. I know it's like quite uh, ruthless as a as things yeah. go. Um, but like as Anderton is saying to Lamar what Lamar did and what he figured out, there's also footage being played on the screen in front of the, the audience that just watched Lamar get this award. Um, and so so it's being revealed to the public that the supposedly kind of um, unimpeachable system of pre-crime actually is a problem. But intriguingly, like what Danny said at the top, the problem is actually not the system itself, but rather human use of that system and manipulation of, of the system. Of course. Yeah. That's always the problem. (laughs) Yeah. And so then we get the final kind of confrontation between Lamar and Anderton on the roof of this building. We have a nice shot of the Washington Monument behind them. Um, And Anderton's like, you kind of are in a tough spot because if you don't, uh, or sorry, if I... Oh, yeah, I I said it the wrong way. So Anderton says to him, if you don't kill me, then pre-crime doesn't exist. Because I guess there's already been a prediction that Lamar will kill Anderton. So he's like, so if you choose not to, then pre-crime isn't possible because because choice still Mm. matters. If you do Mm -hmm. kill me... Then pre-crime is real, but you're gonna go to but jail. You'll be arrested. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you know, pick your poison, basically. So and Anderton has this very triumphant look on his face, but then Lamar, um, he doesn't say anything. But I thought it was interesting. Lamar has clearly thought even further because, of course, he is the one of the inventors of this and a scientist. Um, there is another choice, and that, I guess, is maybe one of the messages of this movie, is, like, that there's always a choice. And, in fact, Mm. what Lamar decides to do is to kill himself with the fancy gun that he just was given as an award, which apparently still had bullets in it and all the Mm. things, so cool, I guess. Um, Mm. So he does. He kills himself in shame and agony. And and what's interesting is, like... um, I feel like this is actually kind of like a real thing amongst men with inordinate numbers, amounts of power is that (laughs) like, I mean, some feel no shame, but the ones that do Mm. like, this is actually a a thing that happens sometimes when it's like the jig is up. Your thing is not going to work. Everyone's going to know your your reputation is ruined beyond repair. And it's like, I can't live in a world mm-hmm. like that. So I'm going to kill myself. Yeah. You know? Um, uh-huh. So that's what he does. 
the police arrive, and then at, like then we get kind of this camera panning out in a way, and we get a voiceover that I think is Tom Cruise saying it that um, the pre-crime program gets abandoned after this. Um, mm. We get to see that Anderton and his ex-wife seem to be back together, and she's pregnant. Um, so, like, I guess mm. they will never be sad about their dead kid again. Um, and that the precogs have gone into a hidden location um, where their skills um, are not going to... It's not like... The, he doesn't say, like, they're going to be used for good, but I think it's more like... I think they maybe have to always be in isolation because, well, one, probably if you've got this sort of talent, being around people sucks. Um, yeah. But two, it's like we don't want more manipulation of their talents. And so we're just going to yeah. kind of put them away and let them finish out their days quietly and away from everyone. Um, and that yeah. is the movie Minority Report. Whew. Yes. Yes, indeed. And it was wise that we did this as a two-parter, I feel. Um, yeah, there's a lot There's a lot going on. Although, I will say, like for us, we're at 1.15-ish right now. And we covered a lot of movie time in that. That's true. Like far more than 1.15. And usually we aren't quite that efficient. And that goes to one of my kind of overall, I'm remembering this now from watching this, like there's not a lot of story in this movie. Um, yeah. and that's because this is a short story. This starts from a short story. Yeah. So there's just like, they and I guess kept it sh- even shorter. <laughs> well, I think they could have a hundred percent kept it shorter. Cause like, let's yes. see here. What's the running time of this movie? It's two hours and it's like two and a half hours. If I remember. Yeah, I think wild, that's right. Like yeah, you're right. Two, two twenty five. You're right. Yeah. Um, there is absolutely no reason. <laughs> I know you do. It's cause you're like every second is a nightmare for you. Um, but there's absolutely no reason this should be two hours and 25 minutes under no circumstance. No, it's absolutely unnecessary. Unnecessary. Yeah. So let's move to yawns and eye rolls. One yawn being, um, so for yawns, one yawn is scintillating. I loved every second. And 10 yawns is like, oh, I could barely keep my eyes open. What would you give this movie? Ooh. I mean, I know it's oh. been a bit of a while to remember. It's been a while. I think I might say like seven. It was too, mainly the too long thing. Yeah. Like, it not, not even that it was like I was falling asleep, but I was just like definitely like checking on the clock, checking yeah. exactly how much time was left. Like, yeah, so I think like a solid seven for me. Yeah, I think I might just go down the middle five um, because it wasn't mm-hmm. super terrible, but... Again, once we got the twist and then there was still so much more movie left, I was like, mm, yeah. there has to be a better way to get this done. Um, yeah. So I think, yeah. They, I just, mean, wanted, they just wanted to like, get the most out of their like bajillions that they spent on it. They did spend a lot of money on it. It's true. And I wonder, too, if like, we ha- I don't think in 2002 we had quite gotten to where we are now where like a movie, quote unquote, can't be taken seriously unless it's two hours long. Um, but I do have this feeling that, like, Tom Cruise likes his movies to be, you know, quote-unquote, an event. Um, Inordinately long. Yeah, and so that's that's 
that's a whole thing. Well, I think it's a... Yeah, I think it's a self-importance thing, yeah, right? Yeah, for like, sure. <laughs> Indeed. Absolutely. Like, you will sit and watch this movie for two hours and 25 my movie, minutes. Yeah. You want to look at my face for two hours and 25 minutes. Who like, wouldn't? I deserve you to look at my face. <laughs> Actually, yeah. I'm... Because so. isn't... Now I'm curious, because I, I don't know how long Top Gun was, um, but I bet it's long <sighs> That's as a good well. question. It, it, yeah, it didn't feel... Oh, two hours, ten. That's still quite long. Yeah, I was, I was, I was concerned, and I, was I think, concerned. yeah, I think it did feel, I think it did feel long. Now that I'm remembering, I, I think that was one of the first things. Even like Isaac said afterwards, was like, this was long, too long. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it was like enjoyable, but like too long. I mean, that's how I would describe so many movies now. <laughs> it's like just yes. like yes, please. There's no reason you can't tell a story in an hour and forty minutes. Like just do that. Please. Come on. Um, you, there's so much, there's so much extra crap they put that is unnecessary. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. So, and in terms of eye rolls, and that's funny because in this movie you can get your eyes gouged right out. Um, <laughs> we have one eye roll, which is like, I buy it. Sure. Um, <laughs> and then 10 eye rolls is like, absolutely not. I could not buy into this world. Well, it's so hard because, like, I generally want to give high eye rolls because, especially if I'm, like, not a fan, I want to be like, ooh, eye rolls. But I kind of did buy into this world in a lot of ways. Mm. Like, the idea of pre-crime and control and all of that, I feel like we are moving that way. Yeah. So, like, I don't think it's wholly impossible. Um, I guess I'll say, like, five yeah, and I'm going to even bring it more down to a three because as well, and we talked about this last week, like the future that they're depicting is not like, and then we've got space boots and then we're like doing this thing. Like, right. um, it's all pretty, it's pretty normal. reasonable with the exception of this whole, like how the pre-crime machine works or, you know, like everything right. else around that seems believable which then, of course, allows yeah. the pre-crime thing to function better than if it was like, and we're right. all wearing like neon, and we're all like, you know, yeah, um, and yeah, we're flying around. Yeah, it's not like the Fifth Element where they're like yeah. flying around and like ordering food and like you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So overall, though, then um, any final thoughts? Did you like this? Would you recommend this? Um. I mean, no, it's not for me. I didn't like it, and I didn't like it when I saw it back in 2002, which I don't <laughs> Oh, yeah, I forgot why. why. Um, like, what a weird thing for you to choose to I watch. I don't – so weird. I'm sure I didn't choose it. Like, I'm sure I just went along with the crowd or something. Sure. But, yeah, I don't, re- I don't recommend it, no, but if you're a fan of Tom Cruise and a fan of this type of movie, like, sure, it's got – it's, like – well well done I yeah. guess but it's yeah. not my it's not my jam yeah I don't think I liked this but I would maybe say it's fine like give it a watch um it's interesting yeah. um I think maybe especially what I might say is like this seems like a good weekend afternoon movie um sure because that is when I might go for a it takes up a movie. lot of time yeah 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 
You go, like and yeah, then, like if you're looking if you're looking for a time suck, <laughs> this is great, perfect option. <laughs> go for it. Um, no, because I really, truly like. I'm like this movie. I do like on a Saturday or Sunday afternoon of like I'm just gonna sack out, kind of stare at something, um, and I want it to be like decently entertaining, but not like too much. <laughs> Um, and, and this, you don't want it to be too good. You don't want it to be like yeah. so good. You want it to just be like mediocre. I want it to like engage me, but only like 64%. And, um, you know, and maybe I sleep to parts of it and then that's fine. Um, yeah. And this, this suits that, I would say quite yeah. a bit. Um, so mm-hmm. a real ringing endorsement from us here at CNN yeah. this week in yep. space. Um, but thank you guys, uh, for being patient during our hiatus. We're bl- pleased to be back with you and I am Sarah and I'm here with Amy and we will see you next week in space. Ooh. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of see you next week in space. This is a production by Amy and Sarah Walsh with artwork provided by Riley Brown. If you'd like to learn more about our show, please check us out at seeyounextweekinspace.com or follow us on Instagram at seeyounextweekinspace. Until the next one.